This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It's your favorite time of the week. That's right. It's a brand new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. Tarika. Yo, you had some major news today. You have a new vlog. Why don't you um inform the fans so they can be a part of it? I do. I do. I have a new vlog that I'm starting called Tea Take 2. Today was the debut episode and it's pretty much me um giving my thoughts, opinions, hot takes and controversial comments on all things in sports from women's basketball to football to baseball. Um, and I may step outside the realm of sports, but it's all going to happen within two minutes. So I got two minutes to get it out and and get your thoughts on it. So, yeah, T take two. I love it. But you're pretty concise anyway. Like I would have trouble getting everything out in two minutes. Um, but you're actually you are you you do a great I don't know. job. I got a timer. Order. I got a timer, LaChina, because I because I, sometimes I can go a little overboard. Uh, oh, really? You're rubbing off on me. You're rubbing off oh, on me. Oh, you know what? Don't blame <laughs> that on me. We are definitely excited for you, and fans can find this where? It is on all social platforms. So follow me on Twitter, and you will see it posted on Twitter um, every weekly on Wednesdays. It is also on IGTV. So if you're following me on Instagram, you can find it there at SheKnowsSports underscore. And also on Facebook under the same name at She Knows Sports. And uh, no matter where you are, you can find it. You can see it. I love it. Congratulations to Tarika. We are excited for you and excited about everything happening in women's college basketball right now, but also the WNBA. If you did not get a chance to listen to last week's episode, our debut for the college season, please do. We had a conversation about the new collective bargaining agreement between the WNBA and the Players Association. We had Sue Bird, Pokey Chapman, our own Michelle Volpel discussing it. Now, we haven't gotten our hands on the document quite yet. We're still waiting for that to be posted. So we don't know all the details. But from what we can see, this is a step in the right direction for the WNBA. So we're celebrating um, just so many things that are going to come through this new CBA, including an opportunity um, for these women to make more money, to have a healthier lifestyle, to have maternity leave. A lot of things that uh, were important to them. I call it a holistic CBA. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week, make sure you do that. But we will continue to have conversations about the CBA, including asking former GM and head coach Carolyn Peck today on our show about what she thinks. We are going to get into Mississippi State, South Carolina on the show. If you did not see that game on Big Monday, you missed out. Mm. Don Staley had the house packed, too. I think there were like 10,000 people there. That, well, she always does. Always. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. It was wild. Um, but South Carolina beat Mississippi State 81-79 to in a nail-biter in Columbia, South Carolina is the number one team in the country. They had their backs against the wall and were down in the fourth quarter to Mississippi State. Man, they, the Bulldogs just, they always bring their fight. And this has been a great rivalry. Um, Vic Schaefer does a great job with his program. But the Gamecocks prevailed. And we will talk a little bit to Carolyn Peck about her thoughts, because she is our SEC expert by far, um, on what she thought about that game. Zaya Cook was... I mean, I just have a whole new respect for her, but we'll get into that a little bit later. 
Also in the SEC, Renaya Davis hit a ridiculous shot. You have not seen the highlights. Tennessee beat Alabama on a last-second shot. They beat them by two. They were down one. And in the waning seconds of the game, Renaya Davis hit a step-back, mishandled three-pointer from the hash mark in front of her own bench with .3. They might have added a little bit more on the clock, but it was .3 seconds left on the clock. It was the most ridiculous shot that I've seen in a minute in college basketball. So, Renaya Davis with everything on the line. Um, the Tennessee Lady Vols did beat Alabama, but if you have not seen that shot, please Google it because it's ridiculous. Um, in other news, as you know, Tennessee UConn, that's right, Thursday night, 7 p.m. ESPN, two teams that have had a intense, an intense rivalry over time have not played since 2007. And we have rumors as to why that has not happened. We're not sure exactly. Um, no one would ever say on record, I don't <laughs> think, Tarika. But anyway. Unwritten. Um, unwritten. We know. Unwritten, right. So they haven't played in 13 years, but UConn and Tennessee, two story programs that are, I mean, bottom line, they're the most successful college women's basketball programs, 11 national championships for Connecticut, eight for Tennessee. They're going to play each other. So make sure you tune into that. We will talk to Carolyn Peck about that. Um, also on my clipboard, because, Tariqa, you know I've got a ton of things here. AP poll voting, we talked about on our last broad, excuse me, we talked about on our last podcast as well. But I just want to say one thing. Congratulations to Northwestern that entered the AP poll this week. Uh, Joe McEwen's doing a fantastic job with that group. But let me just tell all the people that like to tweet us about AP voting. We don't start our poll with the AP poll. So every week we start with what we voted last week. Okay. That's every week I'm going to try to teach something else about AP poll voting. Not that it's right because there is no right and there is no wrong as Michelle Smith told us last week. But when a voter sits down, they look at results from this past week. They look at where they voted the prior week, and that's it. We don't go back and look at the AP poll because those aren't our votes. So it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. So anyway, congratulations to Northwestern, but I wanted to throw that in there as another little piece on AP voting 101. We celebrated MLK Day this week. Tarika, I mean, what can you say about the legacy of Martin Luther King? It's... What can you not say, to be honest? And we were just talking about being long winded. That would cause me to be long winded because <laughs> there are just so many. Um, and what, what I find really interesting is that every single year when I think that I've found or have heard everything I could possibly hear or know about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., there's always something that comes up that I didn't know. Um, and this was no different. I saw some videos, um, saw some interviews and some articles that uh, I had never seen before. And it just really profounded the respect that I already had for him and taking it to a new level. And and, uh, and, and his legacy is, is ever present in my life and in those around me. I'm very thankful. And, I, and really, Tarika, that's you said that so, so well. But to me, the one takeaway I had from MLK Day was let's make sure we're living his legacy. 
Because it's easy for us to just post and say, hello, happy birthday, MLK, or happy MLK Day. But it's like, are we really living his legacy? And we can get into that all day, but we won't. Um, in addition to MLK Day, this is also We Back Pat Week. And um, we are going to have a guest on the show next week that will address the legacy of Pat Summit because we like to do that every year around this time of year. But I just have to say that, the SEC does a fantastic job. Teams around the country all have their way of honoring Pat Summit, but we all should because we would not be here. The game would not be here without her and everything that she's done for women's basketball. Um, one place that I would like to send people if you are interested in donating to the Pat Summit Foundation is to what associate head coach for the Kentucky Wildcats, Kyra Elsey, is doing, and it's called the SEC Win Challenge um, something that she has set up to challenge all of us to raise more funds for the Pat Summit Foundation. Obviously, it's an important thing um, to Kyra, who played for Pat Summit, but I would definitely check that out. I think it's the eighth year that she's been doing this fundraising initiative, so it's just outstanding. Um, thank you, Kyra. So we will talk more Coach Pat Summit next week um, so stay tuned for that and feel free to tweet us your coach pat summit memories on twitter at around the rim pod because um, we would love to share those on our show as well a couple more things on my clipboard just to bring everybody up to speed ucla was the final undefeated team in the country last week well guess what there are no more undefeated teams because the bruins went down to usc that's pretty much a rivalry right across town. So congratulations to the USC Trojans. That's a huge win um, taking down UCLA. So now everybody's even because everybody's got lost. There are no more undefeateds. A couple other just key games um, to pay that I was paying attention to. LSU got a win over Kentucky. Pretty big one there for Nikki Fargus. Oh, yes. And if you weren't paying attention... Sabrina Ionescu. <laughs> if you weren't paying attention, you wasn't. I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> I mean, went ham, Tarika. Went absolutely ham. And Oregon's win over, at that time, number three Stanford. And not only did she break the program's 36-year-old all-time leading scoring record, but she also is now the only player in NCAA women's basketball history to record 2,000 points. 900 plus rebounds and 900 plus assists like really i have ran out of things to even say about sabrina like i don't even have any more adjectives to describe her and what she's doing in basketball right now i'm out i mean i mean drop the mic incredible against a very very good Stanford defense. I mean, Tar Vanderveer's teams will lock you down. So we're excited for Sabrina. If you didn't see it, Kobe also tweeted the goat next to Sabrina's handle. I mean, what else? If you haven't seen Sabrina, try to at least check her out on Friday because they're going to be going up against Oregon State. And just you got to watch Sabrina at least. I, I don't. You just got to watch it. I yeah. can't even describe it. You just yeah. got to watch her. We can't even explain it. So, yeah, just please make sure you check that out. And while we're talking about player of the year typish candidates, later in the show, Carolyn Peck and I are going to talk about someone you need to know. 6'2 sophomore guard from Cleveland, Tennessee, Ryan Howard of the Kentucky Wildcats. We're not talking about her enough. Averaging 24 points per game, six rebounds. 
I mean, she has had some ridiculous scoring outings, like 43 points at Alabama, like 37 at, excuse me, against Tennessee, 28 at South Carolina, 29 at Cal. Like, it's ridiculous. 26 at LSU. LSU is not giving you those kind of buckets. She's sick. So um, you need to know that name, Ryan Howard, and Carol and I will talk a little bit about her later. Congratulations to Katie Smith, who is now an assistant with the Minnesota Lynx. She is a part of Cheryl Reeve's staff. We are so happy for Katie, who is a friend of the pod. Um, as you may remember, Katie was the head coach at the New York Liberty, um, was not retained there, and is now going to be on the sideline for Cheryl Reeve, which we on this podcast believe in keeping former WNBA players in the league, involved in coaching. So important. So congratulations to Katie. But one more thing before we get started, I wanted to remind you to subscribe, rate, and review Around the Rim podcast wherever you are listening. We need your feedback. We need your thoughts, your comments. Even if we're not going to like them, still put them up there anyway. Tarika will delete them later on. But it really helps us. (laughs) It helps other people to find our show. Also, please tell a friend about Around the Rim if they like women's basketball. We think they'll like the podcast. You like women's hoops, so I'm positive that you have some friends that would also enjoy what we do. Continue to grow the game. Make sure you check out the Woj pod as well because this week Woj chats with Celtics guard Jalen Brown about the challenge of playing pro sports in Boston. Oh, my gosh. I was born in Boston it is rough up there. It's rough. I mean, it is real, real rough. They don't play about their professional sports. But anyway, they'll also talk about Kimball Walker's leadership and what he learned by not hiring an agent when he came out of college. So make sure you check out the Woj pod. So fans, lock in. Here we go. Well, basketball fans, we have talked for a while about having someone on this podcast that knows a little bit more about officiating than Tarika and I, who think we know everything. Well, we went out and got someone that knows a whole lot more about officiating in women's college basketball than we do. And I just want to say before I introduce this woman that she has been fantastic for me through the course of my career in helping me to understand rules always making herself available about questions. Um, we talk about the many roles that you can have in sport after you're done playing. Well, um, our guest played her college basketball at La Tech and now is officially the ACC supervisor of officials for women's basketball. But she also oversees nine other conferences. Please join me in welcoming Debbie Williamson to the show. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity, my friend. Well, we could have a whole show on your stories about Kim Mulkey, but we won't. We'll we'll save those for (laughs) um, some other podcasts. But I want to just talk about what exactly your role is um, in officiating and how you got into it. Well, uh, I have done several things in the game that kind of led me to this point. I never, ever thought that I would be on the officiating side, but through several turns of events and changes in priority over a career, uh, kind of landed on this side, and I'm just really grateful, feel like this is where God would have me. Played, obviously, and then coached for five seasons, 
uh, as an assistant at the Division One level. And then when I started my family, I needed to come off the floor and decided to do research in the game and taught on the college campus. And that led to uh, a hunger to get back on the court. And the only thing that would allow me the flexibility to be a mom and, and a college professor was to referee. And um, it took someone about six years to talk me into it. <laughs> and so I tried it and was hooked immediately because uh, you mentioned Kim. I ended up sitting the bench a great deal at Louisiana Tech. So this was my uh, real-time playing time opportunity, except I got to wear stripes. <laughs> and then um, wrote the rule book uh, for eight years, edited it, I should say, uh, as the rules interpreter for the NCAA, the national coordinator, and then now my sixth year as a conference coordinator. So a little bit of everything, really, in the game of basketball. But um, here on this side to teach the rules, talk the rules, and hopefully give pe- be a resource and give people the tools they need to lower their bl- blood pressure so they're not <laughs> upset about things that don't exist. And, uh, no, truly just to be a resource and be on this side of the game to provide some help. Well, we hope to have you on the show a number of times. We don't have a ton of time today, but this is kind of the Debbie Williamson introduction um, to the Around the Rim podcast. But I wanted people to understand and know kind of what the pathway is there, because another thing, and we'll get to this on another show, but another thing you've done is helped a lot of former players um, to get into officiating, which I think is just so important. But um as the coordinator of officials um, or supervisor of officials, what is your role on a nightly basis as far as traveling to games, as far as contact with officials? Like if I'm a coach and I've got a gripe, is that part of your job? Like what is your day-to-day like? Yes, anything that touches officiating and the officials on the floor. So within the year, there are several seasons, just like we have um, – Everyone has seasons in a year, and even within basketball season, there are several seasons for coordinator officials. So if you look and we start in August when the schedules come out, we um, we issue contracts and make uh, hiring decisions and really work hard to, like you said, recruit former players and be as inclusive as we can uh, across people groups and people that are invested in our game. Uh, to be able to establish some relationships with coaches. We do campus visits during that time where we sit down with the coaches and give them whatever they need. We watch video. We talk rules. We're, it's just an exchange face-to-face with coaching staff, players, team captains, whatever they would have us do. I've even put whistles on plays at practice just to kind of get them in the groove and show them what the rules look like. That rolls into the assignments for the year where we put three people on every game in the leagues that I serve and then deal with any kind of travel issues, which is what, what it looks like right now when we've got winter storms coming through, making sure people are getting where they need to be, making re- replacements. And as far as coaches go, you know, like today, I'll be almost every day I'm in a different gym somewhere in the country watching a crew and uh, evaluating them, grading every call that they made every time they have a whistle or every time they should have had a whistle, and then doing that for games from my computer as well. Coaches have a website where they can post a video where they maybe didn't agree with the call that we made, and I've probably, I think, looked at almost 300 video, you know, individual plays already this year 
where wow. I'm grading the video and then sending it back to the officials and saying, why did we do this? Or great job, uh, keep up the good work, and then explaining the rules to coaches. And that's what the in-season stuff will look like. And then, of course, we've got NCA requirements, pushing out those things to our officials, you know, the things they need to do to be eligible for the NCA tournament. And basically preparing my team, with, which who wear black and white, um, not only to serve our student athletes day in and day out, uh, because we've got games going on nonstop and all hours of the day and night, basically, but also to prepare them for the NCAA tournament. And so when that's done, we roll into a training season uh, uh, the week after, two weeks after the Final Four, and we train through July and recruit, and then it starts over. Wow. So that, that's all the seasons within the basketball season. But the day-to-day right now is just like a, a ref. You know, a 3 a.m. wake-up call today, take the first flight out, get to the next stop, have your computer go in the whole time, fielding questions, making phone calls, uh, dealing with issues, and also, like I said, putting up educational um, materials for different people and just responding. And go to the gym, grade the game, go into the post-game, look at plays in the dressing room, and then share plays throughout the next few days on the games that I wasn't that I was not at, and that day rolls this that looks the same every day basically during the season. Wow! So I for know pe- that's kind of all over the map, but that's really what it. No, really is. it's great to know because people always ask questions like, "Are officials corrected? Are they held accountable?" Well, there is an actual mm-hmm. position. Um, that Debbie Williamson holds where they are supervised, where they are taught, where they're given resources, um, where they are scheduled as far as where they're going to be and where they're going to work. Um, and, and that weather thing is key because officials work back-to-back-to-back games. It's not like a team where you've got a day in between. Officials go the morning of and they have a game that evening, so any little travel stuff could definitely trip things up. Um, this is a great yeah, introduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a great introduction to what you do, Debbie. And um, again, without getting too deep in this episode, I think the one thing I want to start with is this year's rules for women's basketball. I know that, every, you know, there's a certain amount of years that go by. I don't know if it's two or three where there's rule changes that mm-hmm. there's a cycle. So maybe you can speak on that. Two years. Um, yeah, okay. every two okay. years Perfect. on the women's side. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there are cycles where rule changes can be made. So we are in a rule change year or has changed, however you want to say that, where there are some new mm-hmm. rules for women's mm-hmm. basketball. Can you just give us like the top two or three that you think um, have been most impactful or may the fans may be most interested in knowing uh, for this season? Yeah, so probably the most noticeable is that our shot clock, and we share this rule with the men that our shot clock is reset to 20 on an offensive rebound. So there's not a full 30, and the rationale behind that is so that we could, you know, put up more shots. You know, the rules committee is very concerned that we get the ball moving, that we that our game is more attractive, that we're shooting the ball um, more often, that the ball is going in more often. So that shot clock rule is is a big change for us. Uh, just seeing it go to 20 at different times uh, instead of the typical 30. Uh, that that was the one we were most concerned about, but I really think that as the game has played out, uh, we did many, many training sessions with table crews across the country on what this rule would look like. And honestly, everybody's just done an awesome job with it. 
and I believe the data is showing that we are putting up more shots, and um, so it seems to be serving the purpose that it was intended to serve. But that that was a big one, uh, is the shot clock. You know, we had some some substitution uh, rules that you know aren't, aren't as noticeable as say the shot clock was, but. Um, that's significant because it really requires teams to have themselves in order on the offensive end if you get a rebound and have to kind of know. And I know there are different triggers. That's another word I've learned. Put a whistle on it and trigger a couple of words that I've learned after talking to people <laughs> like you about what's happening in the officiating. But, um, you know, teams have to be ready to reorganize their offense. And it, it definitely, in my opinion, I've noticed a difference. In the WNBA, the reset is 14 seconds in that game moves mm-hmm. fast. I absolutely love it. Um, uh, uh, just mm-hmm. one other thing, uh, Debbie, before you go, another rule that I'm just curious your thoughts on um, is the intentional foul is back. Tell us why the intentional foul is back and, and some of the thought behind that. Okay. So years ago, uh, you know, anytime an official uh, crossed their wrist and raised it above their head, everybody recognized that as an intentional foul. Uh, everyone thought that it meant that someone intended to do something they should not be doing such that the penalty would be more severe, uh, the kind of foul that would merit two shots in the ball to the offended team. But people kind of got hung up on what that there was intent or they didn't think it was intentional. And so we changed the name. The, the rule itself didn't change. The five criteria uh, for the intentional foul dealt with specific types of contact. Uh, a foul away from the ball, one designed to stop the clock on purpose or to, um, on a breakaway layup, you know, do away with or negate someone's advantageous position, you know, just take away an opportunity. Fouls that that the rules committee long ago uh, didn't feel like they wanted it in our game, excessive, hard, or unnecessary contact. So the, the criteria for the rule didn't change, but the name did. So it went from intentional to a flagrant one. A flagrant two foul was always the most egregious. You only did it once, and then you were you were shipped out. Um, but over time, um, the name got changed to an unsportsmanlike foul. Well, that ended up creating more controversy because the types of contact that remained as part of the definition had nothing to do with being unsporting either in, in a lot of people's eyes. So they just simply changed the name back. And with that, um, made the penalty a little more severe in that it's two shots in the ball to the offended team at half court. And also that if you got two of them, in the past you could get five, if you got two of them you would be ejected. Or if you got a technical foul, uh, if you said, ref, you suck, and then you turned around and fouled someone really, really hard such that it was an intentional foul, so you had a technical and an intentional, that combination also merited ejection. So it went through a name change. I like to tell people, you know, it went back to its maiden name, basically. Yeah. But the penalty uh, was also strengthened. Again, yeah. just from an image of the game standpoint, um, wanting wanting it to be more like the game that we would like for it to look like and, uh, and lessen the occurrence of excessive hard or unnecessary fouls or the other four fouls that fall under that category. But the criteria have not changed. 
Yeah, I like it because, I mean, like you said, it's going back to its maiden name. Like everyone, when we see those two arms raids, we think of intentional foul. And I think unsportsmanlike mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. gave the impression that there was something unsportsmanlike. To me, it was more intent driven um, when you hear unsportsmanlike. And sometimes, and you correct me if I'm wrong, an intentional foul doesn't necessarily be, doesn't necessarily have to be unsportsmanlike. Like it's not a question no. of your sportsmanship necessarily yeah so yeah that's not why i liked it you're right you're yeah. right it, yeah. it might be yeah you're exactly right so well, yeah it it just it just changed its name and we went back to intentional we still have people getting hung up on you know oh she intended to do that well you know it's not about what's going through someone's head so much as the type of contact that we have to judge yeah when you look at the rule itself it'll say contact that blank, 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 you know, whatever. It's a pretty descriptive in the type of contact, which meets the rest of our foul rules, yeah. other than the foul rules we have for misconduct, which cannot be contact. Those are technical, and those have to do with us doing things that involve misconduct without contact, running our mouth, doing things, saying things that we shouldn't say or do. The rules are so complicated. I'm just listening to you, and once again, even though I've at least had to read through most of that. It's It still keeps my head spinning. But, Debbie, you somehow keep it all moving. We will have you back on the show because we haven't talked about the block charge. I want to talk about monitor reviews. We've got all kinds of things. Awesome. So we will definitely yeah. have you back. Yeah, but this is a great – this is a wonderful start in educating our fans and our listeners um, we have some tweets that have come through for questions for you, but we're going to save those for your next visit on the show. So we've been asking people okay. to send us their thoughts. And now that they know they're for Debbie, then um, they can send them to us for you. So thank you for all the work you're doing out here, Debbie. And thank you for your time. Uh, that's Debbie Williamson with um, some interesting insight on women's basketball officiating. And the inbounds is intercepted. Zaya Cook with the pick. And she will run out the clock and South Carolina wins it. 81 to 79 the final and the freshman comes up huge late. That was the voice of our Beth Mowens on the call for the South Carolina Mississippi State Big Monday game. And let me tell you, if you missed it, you missed a treat. 79 to 81 was the final score. And to help us break that down, we have none other than an SEC guru herself, a national champion, an ESPN women's basketball analyst, Carolyn Peck, joining us on the show today. Hey, Carolyn. And the inbounds is intercepted. Zaya Cook with the pick. And she will run out the clock and South Carolina wins it. 81 to 79 the final and the freshman comes up huge late. That was the voice of our Beth Mowens on the call for the South Carolina Mississippi State Big Monday game. And let me tell you, if you missed it, you missed a treat. 79 to 81 was the final score. And to help us break that down, we have none other than an SEC guru herself, a national champion, an ESPN women's basketball analyst, Carolyn Peck, joining us on the show today. Hey, Carolyn. I'm good. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Carolyn, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like 
Monday's matchup between Mississippi State and South Carolina was one of the best games that we've had on our broadcast schedule this season so far for college women's basketball. Now, amazing environment at South Carolina, and I don't think enough is said about what Don Staley has done there as far as their crowd. They were definitely a factor in that, but I'll be honest with you, Mississippi State showed me a lot about their team and their heart and their gut. What were you thinking after the outcome of that game? Well, I agree with you. It was a great game of basketball. The thing that excited me the most with China was the youth that were ballers on the floor. So the future is bright for college women's basketball. Uh, But my biggest takeaway, though, is South Carolina, the thing that separates them, I believe, right now, they have the freshmen that are playing with great maturity, but they have a solid senior point guard in Ty Harris. And I think that was the biggest difference in that ballgame. Yeah, Ty Harris is impressive. Like, she has long been one of my not just favorite players, but obviously one of the top point guards in the country. And she's been there. Um, she and Herbert Harrigan were on the team when they won the national championship. She was obviously an integral part, and that's major in those situations to have that kind of experience. Mingo Young was a player for Mississippi State that really stood out to me as one of those young players, like you talk about the future is bright, only a freshman. Is this a Mississippi State team that we could possibly see back in the Final Four? I think so. It just depends on the maturity of those freshmen. I mean, Rakia Jackson is a phenomenal player as well. Um, and you, we know Vic Schaefer is always going to bring the defense. But you've got teams that can score and have a balanced attack. And so his team's going to have to continue to mature, but you can never count out Vic Schaefer. Yeah, one thing that was surprising about this game, when you think about Vic and you think about why South Carolina has been so good, is the score. It was 81-79. And, I loved you know, it. We, we usually talk about defense when it comes to the SEC, but Jordan Danbury is definitely a big key for Mississippi State. To me, she is the piece that is um, Ty Harris for South Carolina. I also am a big Chloe Bibby fan. You know, she went down with a knee injury. Obviously, she's back now and healthy, looks great. You wonder what Mississippi State even could have been if they would have had her healthy, but now she's back. Um, so it's it's an interesting team. But South Carolina, obviously number one in the country. Their defense is solid. They've, they've shown that they can come up with big plays. We saw Zaya Cook do that against Mississippi State. What would be, if anything, an area of growth, in your opinion, for them, Carolyn, throughout the SEC season? I just think the experience that is coming along with these type of games that the younger players are getting is going to help prepare them come tournament time because, you know, when it gets to first and second round, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, those are those games where your back's against the wall and how do you handle it? And instead of going into that, having dominated everybody or, you know, pretty much been in control, they've been challenged. And I think that's preparing them for the postseason. Yeah, that experience is going to be everything. But everything else checks out for South Carolina. Bree Beal with her defense. We mentioned Ty Harris. Aaliyah Boston is a woman amongst girls. 
And Herbert Harrigan, to me, has always been the X factor. So it'll be exciting to continue to watch Mississippi State and South Carolina develop throughout the season. But we're here to talk about Tennessee-UConn and whether Tennessee actually has a shot against the Huskies. Because on paper, though, everyone talks about how it's a down year for UConn and all those things on paper – they are the favorite in this game over Tennessee. You've had the Lady Vols. Uh, do they have a shot to win? They do, but this is what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to play the consistent defense that they played against Georgia. That was the first time, LaChina, that I saw this Lady Vol team bust out in all-out denial defense, every position was accountable. They were aggressive. They were disruptive. And they did it for 40 minutes. And it wasn't any of this sprinkle in a little zone here, a little passive play there. They came after Georgia. And they've got to do that consistently. Now, of course, this game is at Connecticut. Connecticut right now, number three in the country. They have only lost one game to Baylor. Tennessee has lost three games on the season um, to Texas, at Stanford, and at Kentucky. Um, If if there's a player, I mean, we talk about Renaya Davis, obviously, quite a bit and what her role could be, but is is there someone else that you think will have to pack their offense against the Huskies if they want to get a win? Well, you're going to have to have Jordan Horston, the freshman, She's going to have to play within herself and not get caught up in the hype. And then you're going to have to have Tamari Key to play really strong against Nelson Adota inside. And if she could possibly get her into some foul trouble by playing strong, you know, the bench is short for Connecticut uh, because fatigue's not going to be a factor for UConn. I asked Gino about that before, about, okay, the short bench, are you worried? you know, the depth, and he said only young players get tired. Older players know how to reserve their energy and when to use it and when to catch a few breaks. So fatigue's not going to be an issue. The issue is going to be a matter of can they stay out of foul trouble. A player for Tennessee, that could be a problem defensively for Connecticut, I think is Ray Burrell. Mm. Burrell comes in full steam ahead, and she plays all out. And when you have a player like that, she's tough to guard, and she could cause some some foul trouble for some people. Now, that is going to be interesting because we know that Connecticut cannot afford that foul trouble. You've been a part of the Tennessee legacy. You were on Pat's staff. Um, You know that program so well. What does it mean that Tennessee is playing UConn again? Well, at the time, it was great for women's basketball because that was kind of like waiting for the next sequel of uh, Secretary of State or you know, <laughs> Jack Ryan. You wanted each year. You looked forward to that game. I think that in order to build that excitement back up, you've got to start it up again. There'll be a measuring stick. It's going to be important that this is a competitive game. But I think it's exciting you know, now in women's basketball, they there has been uh, built other interest in other rivalries. So mm. when you look at the Mississippi State and the South Carolina, that's a big deal. Any time, you know, Baylor and Connecticut play, that's a big deal. So 
when you're looking at adding now, it's not just one game that's a big game for women's basketball. There are others as well, and it's exciting that there's more than just that one game. It is exciting. You're right. We have seen a lot of budding rivalries, but boy, I remember waiting for that Tennessee-Connecticut game to come on. And I was a player, you know, obviously during the Kara Lawson, Sue Bird kind of era, so I was always hyped and pumped, and Sharika Holtzfeld was one of my favorites. So um, it's good that we do have more rivalries, and obviously these programs are a little bit different just because everyone else is is improving in women's basketball, so it's not like they are the elite of the elite anymore, um, but still exciting, um, and we're, look for, we're looking forward to the game. So there's a couple more things I have to ask you about the SEC really quickly, um, Carolyn. 26, 24, 22, 43, 37, 28, 29, 26. Those are the numbers, uh, number of points that Ryan Howard has had in her last few games. She has been incredible, and I hope it's – I'm saying – I think it's Ryan, right, or is it Ryan? Am I saying that right? Well, I'm Ryan. from the South, so I say Ryan. Me too. Okay, good. Okay, so, we're going to well, go with Ryan that. Howard, <laughs> Ryan Howard has been balling out. She's a National Player of the Year candidate for the Kentucky Wildcats. Is there anything that can stop her? Uh, only herself. You know, she continues to build interest or build uh, experience and improvement in each aspect of her game. You know, starting the season out um, in the game against Louisville, uh, it was brought out that Jeff Waltz had talked about her ability or lack of ability to go left. Well, she has demonstrated she can go left. Uh, I have a picture of her when they were playing Alabama and Christy Curry was telling her team to go left or to force her left, and Ryan just smiled, then hit a shot going left and held her left hand up in the air. So (laughs) this is a player that can guard and play positions one through five. I I just – she's – I'm a big fan of Ryan Howard's game. Me too. She is cold, boy. When I watched her play against Louisville, I was like, she, aspects of her game, I'm not saying she should be school host call, but there are aspects of her game, the way she plays, her pull-up, like that reminds me of Shamiqua Holdsclaw. She is cold-blooded. And if you have not seen Ryan Howard play, please mark your calendar when the Kentucky Wildcats take the floor. Now, last but not least, WNBA CBA. We're going to go outside of the college basketball landscape for a moment, Carolyn, because you have vast experience. Obviously, you won a national championship at the college level, but you were also a GM and head coach of the Orlando Miracle in the WNBA, which we had that team back. I wouldn't mind a trip to Florida. So with the new CBA, (laughs) if if you put your GM and head coach hat back on, just what were your overall thoughts of, uh, of the new collective bargaining agreement? It's about time. I think that this was um, a great step forward. Is it 100% where we need to be? No, but it's, it's a definitely a positive step in the right direction. You know, with the collective bargaining agreement, though, China, this is what's going to be interesting to me. How does this affect players in college who have the eligibility for another year in college but they meet the requirements to come out and play. Hmm. Well, it's more attractive. You're making a little more 
you can make a little more money. They can start their careers of playing overseas because you, women have to play year round to make even close to the kind of money the men are making. Right. So there are some women now who have graduated who are playing in college right now who have another year to play. So will they stay for that fourth year of eligibility or will they go on to the WNBA? That's a good point because more money would be enticing for me. More money, right. um, the different benefits. You don't have to share a hotel room anymore. You know, you've got right. better accommodations in terms of flying. I mean, the WNBA definitely took a step up as um, a more attractive option with the changes. Now, obviously, the rookies won't have all of the perks necessarily they'll be on rookie contract until they have a chance to get to max salary but who's to say some of that off-season money won't slide their way right we talk about exactly. who the marquee players are who they're marketing in the off-season if you were Asia Wilson you could have been termed and this is the way they're saying it top player made your now 60 something thousand as a rookie um, or whatever that number is and then also collected off-season money that could exceed $215,000, $250,000 and beyond. Yeah, but remember this. This is not for everybody, right? It's only going to be the elite players. So, you know, I don't want every college player that has the eligibility to go because there's only four spots that go one, two, three, four, right? And those are going to be the ones that are going to make the big money. So well, that's where. Well, well, Sabrina Ionescu had come out of had come out. You know, if she had that option or knew the type of money, and obviously she couldn't make that money then. But uh, extra two fifty on top of your rookie contract, like that—that's significant money, Carolyn. You make an excellent point. You make a really good point. This is my one thing that I, I have to end with on that, though. How hard does it get as a GM now with money, right? Because there were so many opportunities to make everybody max. And now with the new salary salary reconfiguration, uh, you know, everyone can't make max, right? Because max is now a different number and it's the, the, the structure of it just doesn't allow for it. So how much harder does it get as a GM to make those decisions? Well, that's where you got to put your salesperson hat on and you got to start talking to players about, you know, the value of, of winning and bonus money and, you know, find other areas, kind of the shell game. <laughs> move right, a little here, yeah. move a little there to make it happen. But, you know, the good thing about the WNBA right now is you've got GM and people and the league itself has existed long enough that people are experienced with this to handle it. You know, back in, um, you know, the mid-90s when the league started and all, there were a lot of inexperienced people, and it was kind of trial and error of getting these WNBA contracts done. And we were having to do that under the kind of umbrella because the league pretty much determined who could, who you paid what, who moved where, and that kind of stuff. Now it's more of the true professional game. Yeah, it is, and I'm interested to see how these GMs move that money around because that was one of the frustrations we talked about with Sue Bird last week was, you know, God, why is everybody making Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi money? Because that's the way you were allowed to do it, and now 
it truly is a structure where only some players are going to be eligible to make um, max salary. More information should be available. Once we actually get our hands on the CBA, Carolyn Peck, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining the show. All right, Luchina, thanks for having me. We'll do it again soon. Okay, fans. Well, that is our show for the week. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you watch UConn, Tennessee, Thursday night, 7 p.m. It promises to be um, an incredible game and bring back a lot of memories. I'm looking forward to that. Um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Around the Rim Pod. I am at LaChina Robinson. Tarika is at Sports underscore. And you can also email us at around the rim podcast at gmail.com. Is that our email address? That is our email address. Please okay, use good. it. We read them. We check them. We, we appreciate do. it. And we'll start to share more of them. Um, that is about it. We didn't get to talk about the WNBA schedule that dropped, but we will next week. We just ran out of time. But we appreciate you tuning in. Talk to you soon. Be out. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.